Hi, I'm Alicia Mikolajczyk Kurtz, and welcome to Real Talk, a place where doctors and other healthcare professionals share stories about their real human experiences working in medicine. On today's episode, we'll hear a story from Fa Lei, an emergency doctor who recorded his story at a live Real Talk session in San Diego, California. Christmas is coming. And children all over the world have their fingers and toes crossed for some specific present that they've got their eyes on this year. Whether it's a dancing baby shark doll or Barbie's dream plane, Boppy the booty shaking llama, or not even kidding, this is real, Wowie Butthead's interactive farting figurines. The list of what kids are saying would be the best gift ever goes on and on. Now, really quickly, I should just mention that we have no stock or disclaimer-worthy investment whatsoever in any of these specific toys that I mentioned. I don't even have kids. But I do remember what it was like the year that I came out on Christmas morning to find a dollhouse my dad had built for me that my sisters and I would spend countless hours playing with the next few years. Or the time that my grandma gave me a Game Boy I used to carry it around in this old lunchbox, and it made long-distance car rides so much better as a preteen. Now, while that dollhouse was honestly so beautiful and the Game Boy was so cool, what I didn't realize at the time was that the greatest gifts being given to me, the actual best presence of my life, had nothing to do with toys. And now, as an adult looking back, I see it. I see the sacrifices that were made by my parents, the time and effort put in by my grandparents and aunts and uncles and teachers and coaches by our community to give me this life that I had. I would never have known it then, but it's the gifts of our parents and guardians, of those that raised us, the hard work, the risks, the sleepless nights, the prioritizing of our well-being as children, education, freedom. It's those gifts that are truly the best gifts ever. This is Fa's story. So the year was 1980. I was seven years old at the time. And on this particular day, I had just come home from school. I lived in the countryside of Vietnam, about 100 miles outside of Saigon. I lived there with my brother, my mom, uh, my grandmother, and all my aunts and uncles. I was in the front yard playing with my brother when I spotted a man walking through the gates. He walked straight up to me and said, are you Kek? Now Kek is Vietnamese for parrot. Apparently when I was growing up, I spoke very early and I often echoed the phrases others said around me, so they called me Gek. So I looked up at him, I said, yes, I'm Gek. He grabbed me and held me tightly, and then he kissed me on the cheek. And although I was surprised at first, I wasn't really afraid of him. He, lo- he looked very familiar. He looked like my seventh uncle. My father came from a large family of men. My father was the oldest, and the sixth man born in the house was known to me as my seventh uncle, Chubai. My uncle then asked me, where's your brother? And I pointed him out across the yard. He walked over, he hugged my brother tightly and kissed him as well. 
He then asked me to take him to see my mother. I told him I knew where she worked and I would take him right away. So we walked out of the yard onto a dirt road. This dirt road would lead to the tailoring shop where my mom worked in the marketplace. On the way there, we ran into my mother's brother. He yelled out, oh my God, it's Anhai. And Anhai is what my mom's family referred to my father. So I promptly said, no, 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 this is my seventh uncle. And as we walked, I looked back at my uncle, who was still standing there scratching his head. How could I have made such a mistake? So we walked into the marketplace and headed directly for the tailoring shop where she worked. And as I walked in, I yelled out, Mom, Chubai is here, visiting us from Saigon. Slowly, I could see my mom come out from the back, still holding on to a garment she was working on. When she finally looked up, she dropped it, screamed with joy, ran over, and jumped on him. Then they proceeded to kiss each other on the lips for what seemed to be a very long time. I was very confused. But I knew for sure this is not my uncle. When my mom finally calmed, she walked over to me, kneeled down to my level, and said, Skip, this is not your uncle. Do you know who this is? I looked up at her and I said, no, kind of embarrassed. Gek, this is your father. And at, at that moment, my life changed forever. This was the moment I met my father. Growing up, I did not have a father. This was a fact I became aware of very early and very often. When I got bullied at school, there was no father there to help me. At first, I was told that he was dead. However, after my mother visited him, I was told that my father was in a labor camp for officers of the old regime. This re-education camp, as they call it, is likely where he would spend the rest of his life. So for all intents and purposes, I should just consider him dead. But he's not dead. He is very much alive, and he has come home to me. Over the next few days, we would take the time to get to know each other again. I would hear stories about how my father went to the best high school for boys in Saigon. He then took a test for the Naval Academy of South Vietnam and was accepted into the 15th class. After graduation, he would serve a combat role and serve with distinction. He would be one of the first in his class to achieve the rank of lieutenant commander. But at the end of the war, he had to evacuate with his men. He was taken all the way to Guam. From there, he went back to Vietnam because he couldn't imagine settling in the U.S. without my mom and me. Also, my mother was pregnant with my middle brother at the time. But upon his arrival in Vietnam, he and all the people on that ship were taken straight to Hanoi, where he would spend the next five years of his life. Unfortunately, his prison mates would remain there for an additional eight years after that. While in prison, most of them were overworked and underfed. The goal of this camp was to wear down these soldiers to the point where they cannot fight back. And my father almost died there. He almost died from dysentery. But one of his friends was able to cure him with acupuncture. He was lucky to be alive. He was a survivor. 
and I'm so happy to have my dad home. Before this moment, my life was just spotty images and snapshots. My memory after his homecoming was crystal clear. After coming home, he tried to live a normal life, but the communist government did not allow for this to happen. Every few weeks, they would call him to the police station and interrogate him. The intensity of these interrogations would begin to give him nightmares about being taken back to prison. After about one year of this, he couldn't tolerate it anymore. So he decided that we must escape from Vietnam. By the time we planned our escape, our family situation had become more complicated. My mom had given birth to my baby brother. Now we were a family of five with no money. The only collateral we had to escape was my father's skill to pilot a boat. One day, without any notice, my parents took the entire family to the bus station. We boarded a bus, and on that bus, my father told me we were escaping that day. While on the road, though, a man on a motorcycle flagged us down and told us to stop. He told the driver something that made him panic. Apparently, the escape operation had been foiled, and we were to get off the road and go to the next town. And in that town, we would sleep overnight in a safe house. It was then that my father told me that if he was caught trying to escape, he would be executed. And that's when I became very scared for him. But I knew that he knew what was best. About six months later, I was living in the countryside again so I can attend school. While my parents lived in Saigon with my baby brother and planned our next move. Unexpectedly, my parents arrived with my baby brother in the countryside. That night, my father pulled me aside and told me that we were leaving for Saigon to escape the next day. But he told me that I would be the only one going with him. My brothers would be left behind to be cared for by my grandmother and my aunt. He told me not to tell anyone about it, including my brother. By then, I was nine and a half years old. My brother was seven and a half, and my baby brother was only one year old. And although I was very excited about the journey we were about to take, I was very sad that my brothers would be left behind. So that morning, my mom took my baby brother to the bus stop. While awaiting for the bus to be ready, she held him and nursed him for as long as possible. They would then come by our house to pick up my dad and me. And as I boarded the bus, my mom was forced to hand over my brother to my aunt. And as she did so, she wailed out in agony. The flood of tears would stream down her cheek and wet her shirt. And as the bus pulled away, I could see my brother begin to cry as well. Because it was that moment that he realized he was being left behind. This caused my mom to cry even louder. And I remember this sad scene continued for several minutes as the bus exited the confines of the village and my brothers disappeared from view. We arrived in Saigon very late that night. The next day, we had to leave before dawn. We took a bus to Vinlong. This was the city where I was born. In Vinlong, we boarded a small boat that took us to a larger boat in the Mekong River Delta. There we met all the people we were escaping with. We were in this large transport boat. 
That night, in the middle of the river, we were transferred to the escape boat, which is actually a 16 meters fishing boat. When the escape boat pulled up next to us, we began to transfer people and supplies over. My mother walked over to the ladder on the side of the boat. She then handed me to a man who carried me down the ladder. It was pitch black that night, except for the twinkle in the water, reflecting the light from the moon. Everyone was whispering in the softest voices because noise would have foiled our escape. I was so scared because I lost sight of my mom. Just when I started to cry, the man carrying me handed me to my dad. He hugged me and told me everything would be fine and carried me to the belly of the boat. There, he returned me to my mom. He kissed both of us and headed back to the control room. As he closed the hatch, I looked around in the room at the belly of the boat. In the dim light, I could see all the scared faces of all the men and women. There were very few children in this operation because of the immense cost. And suddenly, the boat engine revved up. My burst of excitement was quickly replaced with great fear when I thought I heard gunfire. I began to cry. My mother just held me tighter and said, your father will take good care of us. With that, I fell asleep to the droning sounds of the boat's engines. I woke up hours later to the noise of people vomiting around me. The smell and the sound of vomit actually caused me to start vomiting too. Everyone was sick except for my father, his co-captain, and my mother. Even the mechanics were vomiting. These people who are used to coming down to the ocean all the time were vomiting so the ocean was quite rocky. And as sick as people were, they were really joyful because they knew that the fact that they were vomiting was because we had made it out to the open ocean. We had successfully escaped from Vietnam. When I was allowed to go above deck, I saw that we were far from being safe, though. It was open waters for as far as the eyes could see. And even though we made it out, there was so much uncertainty that remained. We could have had a catastrophic engine failure. We could have been the victims of pirates. And the weather could have changed. But on the third day, suddenly, the skies cleared and the waters calmed. There was not a cloud in the sky. And the water was calm and warm like a swimming pool. My father steered the boat towards this island chain. And at the end of the island chain was a little island with the sign that read Cuckoo Refugee Camp. And we arrived. My father had delivered us to freedom. We had survived the journey. When we arrived, my mother bursted into tears because she knew that she would not see her babies again for a very long time. So she was inconsolable. But we had successfully escaped and we owe it all to my hero, my father. We would stay in the camp for about a year before settling in the United States in 1983. Life in the U.S. as a refugee was not easy. My parents did what they needed to do to survive, including washing dishes and scrubbing toilets. I myself picked berries with my mom and scrubbed toilets by the age of 11. At rock bottom, we were living in a fixed-up garage with a thin layer of carpet and plywoods for walls. 
and a single halogen lamp would be my lighting for eighth grade algebra. We were on food stamps and welfare for about four years. But through the generosity of this generous country, we survived and we thrived. In 1991, eight years after coming to America, I entered UCLA. And the rest is history. My brothers would arrive the next years. My family was complete again. I'm now a practicing emergency medicine physician with Fituity in San Diego. I married my college sweetheart, and I have two boys. My parents live in a nearby city, and my brothers and I do our best caring for them, and life is wonderful and amazing. As we live out our lives, there are not many days that go by that I don't think about the events that changed my life forever. Even as I continue to care and give my parents my best, I know I can never truly repay the gifts my father has given me. However, I will forever carry in my heart what he taught me at a very young age. He said, son, the greatest gift that you can give me is to be greater than me. I'm unsure that I can ever be greater than my father. But upon his shoulders, I stand tall with humility and grit. I stand with empathy for all my patients who came to this country with nothing but the fire in their hearts and the clothes on their back. I do not judge those who survive on welfare, Medicaid, and food stamps, because through this survival, their children may go to medical school and become an emergency medicine physician someday. I'm filled with gratitude every day that I live this life that my father gave me. In my most severe moments of burnout due to work, I would try to remember that boy that scrubbed toilets with his mother all those years ago. I marvel at how far my path has taken me from the life that could have been in Vietnam. Because of this, my greatest source of strength is gratitude for all that is good in my life. Because of all the events in my family's past and everything that I've been through, because of the lessons of my father, I am forever a grateful fighter who will never, ever give up. Fa's father risked everything to give his family their freedom. It's intense to think about what that experience would have been like. For Fa's parents to have the courage to take a risk so great because their love for their children and their hope for the future was even greater than their fear. While we all haven't necessarily had an experience in our lives as powerful as Fa's story, we have had people along the way, parents, family, friends, teachers, who made sacrifices for us, took a chance on us, invested in us, who gave us their time, who made it clear that we mattered to someone. And we all have gifts that we probably don't think about all the time. Our freedom, education, shelter, modern medicine, our senses, food, music, electricity. What are the best gifts you have been given in your life? And who are they from? How do you pay it forward? How do you use those gifts to give back to the world around you? Big thanks to Fa Lei for sharing his story with us. 
to the team at Vituity for their support of this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. Happy holidays, everybody. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Want to connect with the Real Talk podcast or record your story with us? Head to vituity.com slash realtalk for more information or email us at realtalk at v-i-t-u-i-t-y dot com.